Heavenly Father, we come to you with open hands this morning, surrendered hearts. We thank you that you are a father who speaks to your children. Help us to listen, to hear, to respond as you speak to us. In the words of the prophet Samuel, we say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. God, would you open up our minds, our hearts, our bodies, and and empower our our hands to do what you call us to do as your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where do you go when you have to make a big decision in life? I don't know if you ever come to these kind of like crossroads moments where it feels like you've got some major decision that you need to make, and yet you feel like there's options, and you can't discern between these options. I, I didn't grow up in church, but I came to faith as a teenager and uh, I remember in college, I went to the University of Kentucky, don't boo, um, and uh, was going to business school and then had spent some time uh, overseas, Philippines, lived in Africa for a summer. And I remember, and I, and I was also uh, friends with and liked my now wife, Emily. And I remember coming to these big, weighty decisions of life, like, man, I have no idea. Do I date this person? Do I date that person? Do I take this job? Do I take that job? And I just remember agonizing over all of the options, and, and asking this question to uh, one of my first mentors, like, how do you know when something is like God's will? Like, how do you know how to listen to God? Because that was, that was kind of like a foreign concept. I mean, I long to have a clear word. And, and for some of us, we maybe, I don't know how, how you do that. Maybe you listen to a podcast, or maybe you read a book, or maybe you go to a workshop, or uh, maybe you try to pray. But I don't know if you ever just had moments where like you just don't feel like you're hearing uh, a clear word and you, you long to hear a clear word. And, uh, and man, just when, when somebody gives you clarity and you're able to act and live in that clarity, it's such a, such a life-giving thing. Have you ever experienced that? Where like somebody gave you some advice and you took it and you lived in it and it actually turned out to be good, right? That's what I think we all long for. But unfortunately, that's not always our lived experience. Um, and when it com- th- that's what I really want to talk about today, uh, just very simply from this text here, is how do we listen for God's voice, right? Because here you have a church devoted to hearing from God's voice and then living in the clarity and the boldness that that brought them as a community. And, and, and I know that this can be a difficult topic, right? Like we, if we've learned anything in the last two years, it's that everybody and their mother in the church thinks they have a word from God for something. And some of your mothers think they have a word from God for lots of things, or I think your physical mothers. But like everybody thinks they're speaking in the name of God, and yet we see how toxic it can be when people claim to speak in the name of God and abuse that and use that in ways that actually end up being contrary to the very ways of God himself. And so I'm I'm cognizant of all that's like swirling around us politically, culturally, uh, and even within the church, and how people can abuse that. But here's the thing. We need to be careful that we don't jettison the idea just because of the abuse, right? Just because you get food poisoning, you don't stop eating out at restaurants, right? Like you still eat. And we need to be careful that we don't stop listening for God just because some, some people have spoken in the name of God in ways that have been harmful and destructive, right? Like I, 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 I would just argue just like the main thing I want us to just take away today is like God speaks to his people, we should have an expectation that God would speak to us. If there's anything we need in this cultural moment with so much chaos swirling around us, is it not to hear the voice of our Father 
and to be able to move forward with a sense of clarity. And con- like, isn't that what you need as a parent, as a husband or a wife, as a roommate, a daughter, a granddaughter, as, as an employee? Like, what you need most in your life, what we need most as a congregation <laughs> is to listen and respond to our Father's voice. And, and, and yet the question is, how do we do that, right? Like, we should be getting better at that the older that we get. And yet, for many of us, you know, it's interesting, like, how you can be a Christian for 20 years, and, and there's kind of, like, two types of, like, old, older Christians, and I say older in this church, maybe, like, 40 and up. Um, there's people who've, like, had 20 years, like, they've had one-year experiences, lived 20 times, and they're not really the wiser for it. And then there's people who have the depth of insight and wisdom, and they've lived 20 years, and, and they, they can teach us how to live out the way of Jesus. And that's what I want for us. I want us to just listen for the voice of God together. I want us to have a sense of anticipation. Like, is that how you show up to church? Is that how I show up to church? Did you come this morning going, I cannot wait to hear from God together with my brothers and sisters? Or was it like, I mean, and I get it, like yelling at our kids on the way to church, you know, we're distracted, you know, thing. But like, do we have that sense of anticipation in our missional communities, in our discipleship groups, in our church, that God is speaking that we can discern his voice together and we can hear it and then we can live into it in ways that bring life to the world? That's my thesis this morning. So let's look at how that happened here in the early church in Antioch. If you remember, uh, Antioch is, uh, we, we looked at this in chapter 11. So chapter 11, verses 19 through 30, we got kind of a deep dive into God's work in Antioch. Antioch is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So it's like Chicago, right? Like New York, LA, Chicago. It's a big metropolitan area. It's the capital of Syria. It's a very diverse cosmopolitan city that's kind of at the crossroads culturally of several different continents and cultures. You've got Palestine and the Jews. You've got Africa. You've got um, Asia and Europe. Um, So all of this, you know, Persia, uh, India, China, all of this coming together uh, in Antioch. And the builders, the city architects of, the, of Antioch, actually anticipated that when you get lots of different cultures together, there's going to be some uh, ethnic and, and kind of cultural tension. So they built out 18 ethnic cultural uh, quarters to keep people separate, separate from one another. And what's fascinating about the early church is they're gathered together across these ethnic and racial and class differences in homes worshiping together. And that's why in chapter 11, it says for the very first time, they're called Christians in Antioch, which, by the way, that's not the primary designation of, of disciples of Jesus in Acts. Usually, they're called disciples or they're called part of the way. Christians was only mentioned, I think, once or twice in Acts. But the reason they're called Christians is because they transcend like the predictable results of you know, religion and culture and ethnicity. They're this weird body of people coming from different you know, strata of society. And, and so what's happening here in chapter 13 is a turning point in the book of Acts, the, the gravity is shifting from Jerusalem as the center of the Christian mission to Antioch. And now Antioch becomes the place where God is speaking, where the church is listening and then obeying and sending the gospel out and power to the world. And so think about it. This, is, this, this congregation, think about it. They're, they're young Christians. They're urbanites in the Roman Empire. They have spent their entire lives being formed and shaped by the voice of Caesar by the voice of Rome, by the voice of the Colosseum, by, by the voices of philosophy and the academy, 
right? But like, this is their life. So now they're gathered together. And, and what's interesting about the book of Acts is there's no strategy. Like the church is surprised as much as like anybody that God tells them go do this and go do that, right? Like there's no strategic playbook. God gives them the playbook in Acts 1.8. You're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. But they're not listening, right? So they're kind of responding, but you can see like how desperately they need to hear the voice of God. It's a group of young Christians who don't know where to go, don't know what to do. And so like children, they're looking to their father to tell them where to go, when to go, how to go. Because all they know is the way of Rome and the way of Caesar, which is not the way of Jesus. So it's very important that we enter into that and we see our need in their need, right? So let me give you three assumptions because we're looking here at one snapshot. When it comes to hearing from God, listening to God, we're, we're zooming in on one snapshot. There's not a lot of how-tos and there's not a lot of, like, this is four verses, right? So I, I just want to zoom out for a second and give you the backdrop of some assumptions that are underneath this that might be invisible to you if you're maybe not familiar with the story of scripture or you're not familiar with this topic. Let me just uh, zoom out for a second, give you three assumptions that you need to make that are driving this text, okay? One is that God is always speaking to his people, right? This is the story of the Bible from Genesis chapter one to Revelation. Genesis starts with God speaking the universe into existence. God's words create worlds, create reality. And that reality is the reality within which we speak and the people of the Bible speak. And so we see God speaking to his people. He speaks to Abraham and he calls him, right? He speaks to Moses. He speaks to Elijah, the prophets. He speaks to Jesus, right? Jesus says, I listen for my father's voice and I do what he says, so when we see this in the book of Acts, this is not some weird thing. This is not an aberration. This is not some uh, you know, one-off thing. This would have been normal in the early church for people to be hearing from God and then responding to God's presence and his leadership, right? And so the question for, that, that we need to wrestle with is if we serve a God who is personal, right? He's not a force. He's not an energy. He is a person, a dynamic, right, life-giving person, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we should expect him to speak. The question is not, is God speaking? The question is, are we listening? The question is not, is God speaking? But why are we not listening? And how do we listen? And how do we respond? Second assumption is that the basic posture of a disciple, then, is a listener. To be a disciple is to be one who hears, responds to God. Listening is central to what it means to be a disciple. We've said this before. The word disciple literally in the Greek means learner, right? You cannot learn anything. I don't care if you're talking about sports, if you're talking about, you know, parenting your children, if you're talking about education, you cannot learn unless you first listen, right? John Gottman, uh, who is a well-known marriage researcher, he says one of the primary marks of a healthy marriage where you can tell between people who end up getting divorced and those who stay married over the long haul. He said one of the ways that um, one of the leading gauges of marital health is that you over time are allowing your spouse to influence you. You're listening to them. Those who don't allow themselves to be influenced end up doing this. So that's just central to being human. It's central to any endeavor of learning or relationships. The word listen or hear is mentioned 1,500 times in the Bible. God speaks. He expects us to listen and respond. Disciples in the Bible are gathered and they're formed by the voice of God 
and the word of God. The centerpiece of Israel's prayer life, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter six, is what? They would wake up and they would say this multiple times a day, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Jewish community built their life around listening. The, the social architecture was built in such a way that each day they would rehearse listening to God as a practice. If you've ever been to a monastery, I had the opportunity to go down to Gethsemane, which is in my uh, native uh, Kentucky, just south of Louisville there, and spend some time in that monastery. And multiple times a day, they follow what's called the divine hours. No matter what you're doing in that monastery, when those hours come around, three o'clock, six o'clock, you know, nine o'clock, the bell rings and you stop. And you come together. No matter if you're in the middle of, you know, I don't care if you're selling stocks, like everything stops. And you come together to listen to God together. Right? This is what we do as Christians. Jesus calls his first disciples and he says, follow me. Right? Which requires us listening and responding. You know the word listen and obey in the Bible, hear and obey, actually come from the same root word. To hear is to obey. To obey starts with hearing. So, to be a disciple is to be a listener. And so that's why we have a community of listeners. We need to become a community of listeners. Third thing, quickly, is uh, the quality of our listening, the quality of their listening, determine the quality of their love. The quality of listening will determine the quality of love. What you're going to see next week out of this is a kind of boldness and clarity where they go out and lay down their lives for the world. They preach the good news of Jesus and they literally give up their bodies. They give up and sacrifice so much. We're going to see by the end of chapter 14. The only way that you would do that is if you were confident that you heard the voice of God. Like, it's amazing to me that this diverse group of people were able to get on the same page. Like, how many of you have big, any of you have big families? Like, you know how hard it can be just to get, like, aunts and uncles and cousins on the same page for vacation? Okay, now you're talking about people from totally different cultural backgrounds. Like, you ever been to a church business meeting when you were a kid, if you grew up in the church? I mean, it is not easy to get church people on the same page about anything. And yet, these people listen to the voice of God, and they're able to then move out and to love with such radical, sacrificial boldness and clarity. And so, we need to assume that our ability, we're really good in the church oftentimes, and I say this as a chronic offender, at speaking in the name of God, but we're not often as good at listening for God. Listening is what makes our speaking powerful. So those are some assumptions that you need to carry into this text. Now, the question, the next question that we look at here is, how did God speak to them, right? So we can say, okay, God spoke, but how did that happen? And again, just to give you a big picture, because we don't have time to do like a full uh, biblical theology of this, but I just want to give you a big picture of how God spoke to people in Scripture, people, real human beings like us. Adam McHugh summarizes it well, I think, like this. He says, throughout the Old and New Testaments, God employs an impressive arsenal of communication tools, words spoken from heaven, words written on tablets, preaching and prophetic words, answered prayer, visual demonstrations, councils and consensus, thoughts, dreams, visions, symbols, words from others, signs and creation, music and song, spiritual gifts, the breaking of bread and immersion in river water, common sense, Lord help us, give us more of that, conviction of sin, uh, impressions on the conscience, and of course, my favorite, a chatty donkey. Uh, the Bible does not offer a systematic treatment for how God speaks and how to recognize his voice. It assumes that God speaks in manifold and mysterious 
in unexpected ways. I'm going to throw this slide up here if you want to just take a picture of this. These are some of the most common ways that we see God speaking, and I don't want you to take my word for it. Like, I want you to actually go and look this up for yourself. Go check me, but these are the different ways, some of the many ways with Scripture verses, some of these in Acts, that show us some different ways that God speaks. But I want to talk about a few of the ones that we see in this passage because I think they're significant and kind of foundational for lots of the other ways that God, um, God speaks and we hear his voice. So the first thing that we see, and it's not explicitly in this passage, but it's the backdrop to this passage, is that God speaks here through Scripture, right? Through Scripture. Now you're like, I don't see that in the text. If you go back to chapter 11, uh, verses 19 through 30, what you're going to see is that Paul and Barnabas spend a year teaching them the Word of God, teaching them the story of God, immersing them in the narrative of Scripture, right? So when Paul is teaching in a community throughout the book of Acts, you'll see this time and time again. He will come into a community. He will share the gospel. People will respond. They'll form a little house church. And then Paul will usually rent out space in like a a public space of some sort. And he'll spend morning to evening instructing disciples in the story of God, teaching them about the uh, Exodus, teaching them about the exile, teaching them the story of Scripture and how all of that points forward and is fulfilled in Jesus, right? And so we can assume that Paul and Barnabas were doing that here and that there is this community who, when God shows up to speak through the Holy Spirit, is already conditioned to know his voice because they know his ways in Scripture. Now, I know that some of us have a hard time with Scripture. I know that the Bible uh, has credibility problems for some of us, and we don't consider the Bible a valid way to hear from God, right? Because, again, maybe people have used the Bible in hurtful ways in our lives, or maybe we just think it's got problems, or we don't think it's credible or whatever. But I just want to encourage you, like, the the number, and we can have this conversation another time, but the number one thing that I want to encourage you to think about is Jesus really valued Scripture, right? Like, if you think about Jesus and Satan in the wilderness, Jesus is quoting scripture to Satan. He quotes the Hebrew prophets. He quotes from the law. He had large portions of scripture memorized. Jesus loved scripture because scripture was God's revelation of truth. Scripture is reality. It's not just religious truths and platitudes and bumper stickers. Uh, It is actual reality from God. And so Jesus treasured scripture, spent a lot of time meditating on it. When he was suffering, he would quote the Psalms. Scripture is how God speaks to us about life in the world, in his kingdom. It's a revelation about himself, about who we are, about the world in which we live. Now, God doesn't say everything about everything in the scripture, right? He doesn't tell us about atoms and quarks. He doesn't tell us about, you know, uh, all kinds of things. But he tells us enough. Scripture is sufficient, and it's infallible where it speaks. Um, And God tells us the things that we need to know about his redemptive purposes in life and the world. So scripture then kind of becomes a tuning fork for us to kind of measure uh, uh, frequencies of other voices, right? We need to bring everything back to scripture. Now, as I say that, I just want to acknowledge that, as I said earlier, uh, scripture can be twisted and abused. And we need, uh, just a warning to us as we're seeking to hear from God in scripture, just we need to remember, and I want to qualify that with saying, Scripture rightly interpreted and contextualized. The Bible was written over thousands of years, dozens of authors in multiple cultural 
context, right? And so it's important that we come to Scripture and we recognize our tendency to project our own meaning on Scripture. And this is where things go sideways, right? Like a lot of what people get mad about with the Bible is not what Scripture actually says, it's what people do with Scripture, right? Because our interpretations of Scripture are shaped by what? They're shaped by our social context, right? Like we read Scripture as Americans through American values and American lenses. As much as we don't think we're shaped by American values, we are. So we read the Bible and we see words like, you know, freedom, or we see words like prosperity, and we import our own meaning on those because we're Americans. So we need to be careful and recognize how social context can shape the way that we read Scripture. And we also need to be aware of, like, cognitive bias, right? Like, we read into the Bible what we want to be there oftentimes, and I am guilty of this as anybody, right? Like, I want something to be true, and I go searching for Scripture that will back up what I want to be true. And so we've got to really be careful in terms of how we come to Scripture and really recognize that Scripture has genres, right? So it's literature. There are genres, and there's a huge difference between prophecy and history, right, for instance, poetry and prose, right? Like, we've got to see those differences, and that's why it's really important that we, like them, study Scripture. And I mean, actually read the Bible for ourselves. It's, it's an amazing to me how many Christians don't read the Bible. We read things that other people say about the Bible. We read things, we Google things about the Bible, but we don't actually read it for ourselves. And I know, like, it can be confusing, right? Like, read the book of Daniel. I mean, Dane's going to preach on that here in a couple weeks. Like, it can be confusing. And I know it can be something that causes some anxiety, right? Because if I read it and it contradicts something, that means I've got to change something, right? Like, there's, it's, it's a vulnerable thing to read the Bible with God. But we must be committed to internalizing it so that we can develop a biblical imagination. We have to understand what the authors meant then so that we can apply it now. So God speaks through Scripture. God speaks through the Holy Spirit. And again, we just see it very clearly here. The Spirit said to them. God speaks through the Holy Spirit. I don't have time for this one, but um, we did a whole series in 2020 on the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence, and we talked specifically to a whole message on prophecy, which is likely how they were hearing from God here was through one of these prophets, this uh, gaggle of prophets that's here in Antioch. The Spirit of God takes what belongs to God, the truth, the person, the presence of God and Jesus Christ, and he imparts it to us, and not only does he teach it to us, but he actually lives in us so that we can internalize realities about God and about ourselves and about the world. And so I want to encourage you to go back to that message on prophecy. Listen to that from that 2020 series called God's Empowering Presence. But just suffice it to say, God speaks through promptings. He speaks through impressions. He speaks through illuminations and prophetic words. He still does that today. He speaks, thirdly, here through the church. The church gathered together with all of its diversity, right? He speaks through local churches, right? So that's why we can't discern the will of God on our own only. We need to come into communities, and we need to test what we're hearing by the community, right? And so you see here in 13.1, in the church at Antioch, and then in verse 2, they were worshiping the Lord together. That's the context through which God speaks. God speaks through a community of spirit-filled people. And that's why also we need diversity in our communities, that's why we need different cultures. We need different generations. We need different perspectives, different classes, right? Because we're going to read them through our cultural blinders, and we're not going to know what we're missing because we can't see what we can't see. That's why they call them blind spots. That's why Jesus says, you know, take the log out of your own eye 
before you take this back out of somebody else's. While the psalmist says, cleanse me of my hidden faults, right? Because we all have things we can't see. And so we need other cultures. We need to be in relationship with other churches in the city. We need relationships with other churches overseas. We need to learn from church history, people who lived in different eras, because then we begin to see, wow, I didn't realize I had this filter on. But we need the church to help us discern and to hear from God. And then finally, uh, God speaks through circumstances, right? These, these realities are ultimately tested. God's voice is ultimately tested as they actually go out. It says they set off for Seleucia, and they tested it by actually going out and doing it, right? Obeying God's will. Sometimes we hear God's voice only by doing it and then looking in the rearview mirror. There's an experimentation that's involved. There's obedience that's involved. I mean, I, I love, like, I love to, like, sit and talk um, with people and, and like share things that we're learning together. One of the things I've noticed about uh, our younger generation, and some of you guys younger than me, is that we love to talk about resonating with things. You ever notice that? Like, oh, I really resonate with that. I'm really vibing with that truth. Like you're sitting around a coffee shop. Like there's a huge difference between resonating with something and actually obeying something, right? Like doing something about it, like saying, hey, we're gonna get together, we're gonna talk about this. I feel a sense that God might be leading me here. Oh, that's cool. And then we don't do anything about it. But what would it look like to actually say, why don't you go do that this week and then come back and tell me how it went and let's see if that was actually the voice of God or not. The voice of God as he speaks has to be open to being evaluated, has to be open to being tested in real life. And when real life shows us something, we need not close our eyes or try to deny reality or try to reinterpret reality or rewrite reality to fit our own narratives. We need to have our eyes wide open and be paying attention to how God is speaking through our circumstances. All right. Now, that's how God speaks here. Why is it so hard to listen? Right? Why, why if God is speaking all the time, he's speaking here, why is it this often our lived experience? Let me give you just two reasons why I think it's hard for us to listen right now. Why it may be hard for you, it's hard for me to listen right now. One, and we talk about this a lot, so I'm just going to mention this. One is just the noise, right? The Bible over and over and over again tells us, if you look at like 1 Kings and the story of Elijah, when God speaks to Elijah, that God often speaks not in thunderbolts, not in wind, you know, windstorms. He speaks with a still, small voice. And it's so hard to hear him when our lives are so noisy. There's two ways to get, I have four kids. Two ways to get their attention. I can yell, which usually ends up with them tuning me out. Or I can whisper. When you whisper, you have to kind of lean in and listen. I have to get in close proximity. It creates kind of like a curiosity. I have to be close enough to have a relationship. That's how God speaks. He whispers. And our lives are often so noisy, so crowded, so busy, so hurried. We miss God's voice. It doesn't come in the dramatic, you know, I got into my prayer closet and God boomed on my, you know, no, it's like the still small voice. The second thing is I think we, we just listen to the wrong voices. There's so many competing voices out there, so many bad voices, loud voices, right? Like, and oftentimes you can tell which ones are bad by which ones are the loudest, but there's a lot of people saying, hey, pay attention. This is the way to life. This is the good life. Historically, the church has talked about three basic voices that compete with the voice of God, the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
Our flesh is kind of like our own sinful desires, right? Like I have preferences, and oftentimes I'm not listening to God because I'm listening to my own voice. I have this internal chatter that's crowding out the voice of God. I have disordered desires and preferences and values. That's the flesh. The devil, obviously, is the liar. He's the enemy. He's the one who distorts. He deceives. He undermines God's work in our lives. The world is just kind of, there's lots of different senses of world, but the way that the Bible uses that is just the systems and the institutions and the ideologies that are bent and warped away from the way of Jesus. And they, they beckon to us through podcasters and pundits and philosophers and influencers and celebrity Christians even and consultants and coaches. I can't tell you how many conversations, and I'm just going to use this example. I don't have anything necessarily beef with them. I don't listen to them. But like, I can't tell you how many times in the last two years somebody has said to me when we're talking about something intense or some complex issue with like COVID or politics or, you know, just the church or whatever. Somebody's like, have you listened to Joe Rogan? You know, like Joe Rogan is the number one voice speaking to men in the world. His Spotify, Spotify, Spotify um, podcast is huge, right? Same thing with like Jordan Peterson. And I'm just talking about the guys. But it's amazing to me like how many men are being shaped by Joe Rogan rather than Jesus. We listen to these voices. And let me just say this to us. Like who we become is shaped by the voices we choose to listen to. The kind of person we become is shaped by the voices that we choose to listen to. So we need to pay attention. We need to watch out for those voices. We need to learn to listen to the voice of Jesus. John chapter 10, how do we learn to listen for God's voice finally? John chapter 10, Jesus says this to his disciples. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. I want you just to take a moment and I want you to think about some area of your life where you desperately need to hear the voice of your father. Like I think as a pastor, man, for us as a congregation, that we, we all like carry just like wounds. We have these deep longings to, you know, transform the world. We have all this fear and anxiety that we're carrying in our bodies week in and week out. We come into community. We're wrestling with these things. And I just have things in my own life. Like over the last couple of months, I'm just like, Lord, I am just full of all of this desire and I don't know what to do. I have all of this fear, all of this anxiety, all of this anger. And I desperately need to hear from you. And just can, like, can you get in that place and just imagine what that is for a moment? And then just imagine those words of Jesus speaking to you. I am your good shepherd. This is like Psalm 23. I am your good shepherd. I have a voice. And you should be learning to discern my voice among all the marketplace of ideologies and institutions that are beckoning you and voices that are competing I am speaking, and I want you, I mean, just like a child, like you know your mother, that shrill voice of your mother or father or grandparent, and that you could be in a crowded room and pick it out. 
In, in the crowd and the noise of the world, Jesus speaks and he says, I am the good shepherd. I've come to lay my life down for you so that you can learn to hear my voice and you can come into the, the sheep pen. You can come into my father's reality and then you can see it open up into this vista of abundance and life and joy and satisfaction and beauty. If only you will listen for my voice. Like Jesus has a voice, it has tone, it has volume, it has weight, it has texture, it has content. Just like your parents, just like your spouse. I mean, like, I know the longer that I'm married, the more that I get to know Emily and spend time with her. Like, it's almost like I can hear her voice with me all the time. Like, when we get into a conversation after, what is it, almost 18 years of being married, like, I almost know what she's going to say before she says it. That's what it should be like as we grow older with God, that we're hearing his voice, recognizing his voice, and responding to his voice. So let me just summarize this quickly here with just some, some invitations, some ways that I think we need to hear God's voice together. Um, three, three things here. One, to hear and listen for the voice of God, we have to grow in intimacy and maturity, right? Intimacy and maturity is the primary context through which we're going to hear the voice of God, right? We often come to God because we want an outcome, right? So it's like your kid's coming to you, dad, 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 will you do this for me? And again, no problem with that. God says, ask, seek, knock, like do all that. But we often come to God in a very transactional way. We want an answer. We don't want his presence. And, and, and the biblical narrative kind of flips that and says, no, what we actually need more than anything else is not answers, what we need is the presence of God, because if I have the presence of God, the answers then change. If I'm asking the right questions, I'm going to get a different set of answers. And so growing in intimacy, growing in our relationship with God is going to be the primary way that we discern his will. Just like in any relationship, marriage, parenting, business, growing in a relationship and in intimacy and maturity is going to be the way that I'm going to come to develop the kind of instincts I need to, to act and respond in the world. Dallas Willard says it like this. We must make it our primary goal, not just to hear the voice of God, but to be mature people in a loving relationship with him. Our communion with God must be the context for our communications with God. Are you growing in intimacy with God? Are you spending time daily with an expectation that he's speaking to you? Are you listening for his voice? First thing up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? Last thing before you go to bed at night, what's the last thing you do? Throughout your day, what does it look like to listen for the voice of God, to grow in intimacy, to recognize God is with you, he's present to you, and we are just responding to him by being present to him. And we've got to grow in maturity, right? We've got to become the kind of people who, when God speaks, we have the maturity to act. Second thing, uh, Harmony. So intimacy, maturity, harmony. When we're seeking to discern the voice of God and listening to God, we need to see and make sure that there's harmony between these different ways that God speaks. So God speaks through scripture, he speaks through his spirit, he speaks through the church, he speaks through circumstances, right? I gave you all kinds of ways. And the problem is sometimes we like to privilege certain ways over and against the others, but we need all of them, right? So like some of us, we only go to the Bible and we look, listen to the Bible and that's great, right? Like that's a great place to start. But like the Bible doesn't tell you what clothes to wear. It doesn't tell you what job to take. There's so much the Bible doesn't say in terms of living your everyday life. So you're going to need the Bible 
and you're going to need the Spirit, and you're going to need the community, and we need to make sure, like a good symphony, that those things are lining up. When there's incongruency, when you hear that flat note played, when it's supposed to be, what, I don't know, Miles, I'm getting into danger. So when you know it's supposed to be a different kind of note, then you need to step back. Like Again, just a practical example. It's amazing how many people will come to me, and they'll say, God told me, uh, or God is leading me to do X, leave this church, go take this job, move to this city, whatever. And I'm like, all right, great, tell me about that. Like, how'd you make that decision? Well, I just felt, you know, something, or I had a dream, or, you know, it just felt like the right thing to do. Okay, like, why is this the first time we're talking about this with your community? Like, it, it, it probably is not the voice of God if you haven't discerned it in community with anybody else, and you've made this decision on your own. And so there's just, my point is that just in saying that we need all of these voices in harmony with one another, we have to test the calling, right? Like the calling comes, notice in verse two, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Then after they had fasted, after they'd prayed, after they laid hands on them, then they send them out. There's some sort of testing period where the community is going, is this truly the voice of God, right? Because you, you cannot, it's so easy, and I get this, the temptation is just to say, God told me this. That's the ultimate trump card in the church, right? How do you come back against God told me? But here, here's the situation, just happened recently. Some, uh, a, a man says, I feel called to do this. The wife says, well, I feel like God's telling me to do this. Okay, now we're pitting two God calls against each other. That's not gonna go well for your marriage. <laughs> I can just tell you that. So we need to be open, and we need to be open to challenge, open to being wrong, open to being tested, right? When somebody says, God told me with a kind of clarity and certainty that doesn't have humility, that doesn't assume that I could be wrong, or I'm not hearing from God fully, or I need other people to speak into this, that is a red flag that you need to get away from this person. Anybody who says, this is what God said, and God told me this, and there's no testing, there's no community around that, we need to be careful. What we need to be looking for, very simply, I think, is like, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Is this decision leading to those things? Because where the Spirit of God is, where God is speaking, we will always see the presence of God and manifest as Holy Spirit. Does this person manifest that in their own lives? How could we even know if a Christian celebrity influencer on Instagram is telling us the truth? We have no way of looking at their life. And yet many of us are making major life decisions and building our marriages, our families, and our community experience on somebody that we don't even know. We can't even see. And so these things have to be harmonizing with one another. And then lastly, again, we just need to be doing this in community. This is, this is one of the primary purposes that God has for us as a community is for us to be a place of listening together with God for what God might be doing in the world, right? Notice they, they're cultivating these communal spaces where they can come together. They worship. What are they doing? Why, why is it so important that they're worshiping and praying? That's not a formula. That's not an algorithm. It's just saying they're creating the kind of environment where their hearts are surrendered, their attention is given to God. Like think about worship, our attention is directed to the one true king. We're living in his story, right? We're looking to him to be for us what we can't be for ourselves. Fasting, we're emptying ourselves and we're, we're recognizing what might be controlling us and influencing us and we're seeking to abstain from those so we can give our bodies fully to God. We're praying, and prayer is really just listening, right? We do a lot of talking and praying, but historically, prayer is actually listening. It's listening to God, creating space, silence, solitude, to say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, God, would you show me what that looks like today? Would you show us what that looks like 
today. And so it's so important that we curate those kinds of environments here in the church. That's why it's important that you come to church on Sundays, that you gather with a sense of anticipation that God's going to speak. Like, I long for us to be a community where we have that sense of anticipation together, that God has gathered us together not just to play church, but to hear the voice of God. We need to know what God wants us to do, who he wants us to become. And there's a lot of clarity, like 90% of it is already there in scripture. We don't need more content. We don't need more information. We need integration and application, right? It's mostly there. But there are times where we need to gather and we need to ask God specifically, what do you want for us here? And so that's why it's important that we worship. It's why it's important that we gather together in missional community and we ask those questions. I'm sensing this. What are you sensing? Let's help each other discern the presence of God. That we're doing that in our discipleship groups. We're not just gathering together, grabbing coffee, and, and talking at each other and pretending that that's discipleship. Okay, that's part of discipleship. But most of discipleship is like, let's get together and listen for God together and then do what he says. That's why it's important that, like what we did on Wednesday night, we come together and we worship and we pray. Like, if you weren't there Wednesday night, you missed out on an opportunity this past Wednesday to come together to hear the voice of our Father, to get our hearts attuned and aligned, and to seek God with intensity, and to ask God to speak. That's what we're doing. And so let's just put our stuff away. I want to close out by just inviting us to respond to God now. As we come to communion, we confess our sins. We come to receive again this reminder that God is with us. God is here with us. This is what communion is all about. The presence of God is with us. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us. Jesus is here with us now. He is with his gathered church by his spirit. He is speaking to us, proclaiming his good news, that he has come. He's lived the life that we couldn't live. He's died the death that we should have died. He's risen from the dead. He's bringing his new creation into our lives, and he's inviting us to partner with him. He's inviting us. He's saying the words of Jesus to us right now. Repent and believe, right? Turn away from trusting in anyone else and trust in me. Partner with me. Collaborate with me to take this good news out to the world, to the ends of the earth, and I will be with you. I will speak to you. I will guide you. I will accompany you on that journey. If you have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts open. So let's just take a moment of silence again to pray, and let's prepare ourselves for communion. Let's confess our sins. Let's cry out for God to speak, to unclog our ears, to open up our eyes so that we may behold wondrous things in his word and with his people. Let's just be responsive to what God might be inviting us to right now. Lay our desires before him. Ask for him to speak to us. Repent of the ways in which we are not listening and we are following our own devices, our own preferences, and we're doing all of that in the name of God. We're saying false things about God because we're not listening to him, not following him. Let's ask God to help us see those. Father, we pray that you would open up our eyes. God, speak to us in ways that we can understand through your word, by your spirit. In this community, we know that you are speaking and we have a responsibility to listen, to obey. And so God, would you help us now? You know our weakness, you know our vulnerabilities, you know our proclivities to try to do things in our own strength and our own power. So God, would you, God, just forgive us of our hidden faults, forgive us of all the ways that we live our lives, ignoring your, your voice, following other voices to our own destruction. 
and then turning around, God, and often cursing you because you didn't give us what we wanted in the first place. God, you are good. You are a father that is good and true and beautiful who longs to lead his children into an abundant life, Jesus says. So God, we want to just see Jesus as our shepherd, to see him as the only one worthy of our pursuit, the only one worthy of our trust, and we both personally and as a community want to come just seeking your voice together. God, would you speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.